Welcome to PR After Hours, your twice-weekly cocktail of business, PR, and marketing tips hosted by me, Alex Greenwood. Every week, we bring you virtual happy hours featuring business advice from entrepreneurs and leading thinkers in PR, marketing, and business. We're going to get started in just a moment, so stick with us. Hello, my name is Swai Ho, hashtag the promo guy from Garuda Promo. You're listening to PR After Hours with Alex Greenwood. The future is uncertain but the end is always near. That's a quote from Jim Morrison, the famous lead singer of The Doors, and it's part of the introduction to a great new book on crisis communications called Breaking Bad News, 12 Essential Crisis Communication Tools. And you know, I often do is I often get a book like this or an article and I kind of share the, the highlights from it, of course, giving attribution, but I thought, man, it'd be better if I could get the author on the show. And guess what, folks? I got him. Jeff Hahn is with us today. He is a crisis communications expert, 30 years experience in communications and public relations. He's a specialist in the food and energy sectors and is deeply concerned by the existential threat both industries currently face. He is the owner and principal of a family of integrated agency brands, including Apron Food and Beverage Communications, Han Public Communications, the Predictive Media Network, and White Lion Interactive. His team of 40 people serve an array of clients in the food and bev industry, as well as in the energy and higher ed and healthcare sectors. These are all sectors I've worked in, so I'm very excited to welcome him. Jeff Han, welcome to uh, the Virtual Lounge. Alex, great to be with you. Thank you so much. I'm going to jump right in here. Um, I think people can get the, the bona fides are there, so we don't have to go through much more of your bio. Okay, let's just jump right in here, though. I'm very excited to speak with you. Uh, we spoke offline. You, I told you I've worked crisis. My first PR job was actually in crisis, a uh, terrorist attack on the federal building in Oklahoma City. Um, I was with the hospitals where a lot of those victims uh, were sent. And I'll tell you what, I've thankfully never had a worse crisis in my career. And, uh, but I've had many, many to deal with. So I wanted to ask you though, specifically though, to you, why food and bev? What attracted you to food and beverage industry crises? Well, interesting. Uh, it comes from uh, experience no less traumatic than what you just talked about. In my own uh, time, as a boy growing up on a farm in Iowa, our farm was destroyed by a tornado. And my family and I are down in the cellar watching it all happen, just like we were watching Wizard of Oz. And so yeah. that formative experience, when you run down into the cellar as farmers and you walk back up into a green sky, a still green sky, it says, oh, uh, we're not farmers anymore, really puts you in a trajectory that, um, it's hard to connect the dots, but for me, if I were to say how did it all start from a food and beverage standpoint, it was that. Growing up on the farm, I was always very proud that we were part of that food supply, feeding the nation kind of ethos. Um, and I've always admired those who were in that industry. When I finally put two and two together between my PR career, crisis work, and food, I said, 
this is a space that um, is underappreciated. And I'd love to be able to provide my expertise in it. And you see the need on a regular basis, like for example, food recalls. Uh, handle those well and the customer and consumer trust is maintained. Handle them poorly, you could find yourself out of business. And so I like to think of our agency as a promoter and protector of brands who feed people. Yeah, and there's, there are so many things early on in a crisis that uh, brands that aren't prepared for them, it, it's so crucial. In my opinion, there's two things. It's very crucial to be prepared for a crisis, which is one reason why I offer crisis planning services to my clients. Let's plan ahead, shall we? Come on now. Uh, it's also like buying insurance. Am I right, Jeff? So, but there's that. But then there's those first moments of a crisis. And you boiled down a lot of this in, um, in the way you approach this. Would you mind kind of going through these five steps that you recommend to, in your book to, to brands? Oh, yeah, for sure. And by the way, the work you do with your clients is the most crucial step. It's the one thing that brands get the most wrong all the time about crisis management. And that is failure to create and train a rapid response team. Here's the most interesting thing I've seen in dozens of crises that I've handled for clients. They can't get the first step right. And that is they can't even assemble the right people around the table because what number am I supposed to call into? What conference room am I supposed to go to? What Zoom channel? Who's got da, da, blah, blah. Um, and it's like a Keystone Cops episode. <laughs> you look at them and say, what the? Um, but they fail to take advantage of experts like you who get them assembled, trained, and ac accomplished in their particular roles around the table. But that is step one of my five-step model. So assemble your rapid response team. Now let's assume that they have followed the Alex Greenwood method and gotten themselves spun up in a, and they know what they're doing. But let's assemble. <laughs> then we're inside of a crisis. Uh, we've assembled because something's gone wrong. Uh, we've had, hence the title of the book, Bad News Break. What's the next thing? What's the second thing? The second thing to do is really begin communicating before you know all the facts. And the reason I say that is because you're inside of a two hour time box. I call it the TikTok box. And in that two hours, your job isn't necessarily to convey facts or the entire response. It's instead to assert control, control of the official narrative. So step two is issue a holding statement to all of your stakeholders that establishes you as the official voice of this particular incident. Then, Step three, four, five is my three M's, message, messenger, and method of delivery. Right. Message, what is it that we're going to say about this particular situation? And in the book, I provide um, 16 options for early messaging, particularly because we're assuming that there's some fault to be laid in some way, shape, or form. You can either accept blame or not but you have options. And here's my interesting message um, to anybody who practices the crisis craft. You don't need to have an answer. You need to have an option. Provide your client options. Don't worry about answers, just give them options. 
So 16 message options. Then in Messenger, you have nine messenger options. Here's sort of the first worst thing that I hear uh, on a regular basis. Uh, and it sort of goes like this. Let's put the CEO in front of a press conference <laughs> an apology. Now you and I, you and I are like, what the uh, worst idea ever. Yeah. Um, but it's because someone hasn't thought through their options. There might be more qualified messengers, even a subject matter expert. Sometimes you need like um, help from God. So get a minister in here to talk about whatever you're doing. There's a role for that kind of messenger, especially if you're under a character attack. Right. So let's think about our messenger options. Then method of delivery. Um, this put the CEO in front of a press conference. That's one of the worst, worst two ideas ever strung together. Press conferences are wild, wide open. I mean, it's like throwing your CEO into uh, the African safari and expecting them to live. I mean, no way. There are, there are 12 options in my model that you can stair step down into that uh, idea of a press conference. But really you do that with two things in mind, authenticity. How authentic is this? What Does it provide us the voice that is needed right now? Combined with control. And I yeah. draw these on two by two charts. Um, so I want high control, high authenticity. Well, you're gonna find yourself in the middle of your option set. If you want low control, high authenticity, then sure, do a press conference. Watch your CEO get laid bare. Oh yeah. Because they can be nothing but authentically bad. Yeah. If you want no high control, let's go with no comment or written statements only. They're all valid options. I just want people, especially practitioners to know your job is to present options, not answers. And when you're able to do that, you can guide a client through even the worst uh, set of activities. So those are the five steps. Uh, assemble, hold, message, messenger, and method of delivery. Work through those down through the trough of a crisis, and you can build yourself right back up into normalcy. Yeah, and I'd like to, and I, thank you, that's great and so succinct. Uh, I'd like to go back through each of these just briefly and just have a little, uh, let's expand a little bit. So I recently did uh, a crisis communication plan for a very large um, uh, HVAC company, okay? They were concerned about COVID. They were concerned about what if one of our techs goes in and inadvertently gives a client a, a customer COVID, or what if a customer gives us COVID, or what if somebody dies? What if, what if it runs through our complete, uh, company and uh, there's nobody to serve to take care of people's heating and air needs during the summer, which that, they're an essential industry, you know, they're essential people. So we, we went through that. So um, what was interesting when I was working with them, though, is about creating the, the, the rapid response team, uh, chief, the chief crisis officer, whatever you want to call it. I like yours too. I love that. Chief crisis officers from a different book, but uh, rapid response team is, is important. And they were kind of shocked that it wasn't the CEO. I said, you, you know, I said, often, I said, we generally keep the CEO, at least in my opinion, advised and consulted, but he or she is not 
the point person for that. They have all these other things that they're supposed to be shouldering. We need people who can turn to uh, looking at details, who kind of know where things are and, and going from that direction. I'd love it if you just tell me, is there, do you have uh, any kind of a, kind of a template of the types of people in an organization that you think are best? So if we're telling somebody, let's say that they've got a small restaurant group, let's just do that, okay? We're gonna pretend for the rest of this conversation that it's a small restaurant group. They've got maybe 10 restaurants over a region. Um, so they've got a decent infrastructure. Who would you tell them should be on their rapid response team? Yeah, for sure. There's um, two dimensions that I always think about. The first is the character dimension. We can be um, attacked for poor judgment, for um, ethical missteps, et cetera. So I want someone who can on the team who might be able to address that dimension. We can also be attacked for technical errors in judgment, food safety, for example, in a restaurant group. So I would want um, my food safety manager on the rapid response team as well as then on the ethical side, my um, procurement officer, the how do we procure sustainable food, healthy food, et cetera? What are the inputs to our uh, restaurant? So I want both of those people as subject matter experts on my rapid response team. Also, I'm interested in having someone from human resources on yep. my team because our best ambassadors in a crisis are often our own employees. So if we can brief them on the situation, provide them the talking points, they can help protect our brand, especially when it comes to the next day um, when customers are seated inside restaurants, one of them is gonna say, hey, I saw you in the news. What's that wait staff person gonna say? Uh, they ought to have a talking point. So I'm gonna use my HR person on my rapid response team to help educate my own staff. That includes social, about, I'm sorry to interrupt that. It also includes making sure what they do or do not say on social media at least, oh, right? Perfect, perfect, perfect. Absolutely right. That's the other part. Um, I'm gonna be thinking about a communications person to help manage and, and monitor social. And then there's, I'm likely gonna have an attorney on my rapid response team um, and attorneys have a unique role to play. They are risk and liability managers. Right. They have to worry about the court of law. Uh, you and I worry about the court of public opinion. Right. We have um, mutually supportive roles. As long as we stay in our swim lanes, we can work right. together. <laughs> right. <laughs> of course, uh, you mentioned it, maybe not the CEO, but at least a chief decision maker and right. a deputy chief decision maker. The reason you need a deputy chief um, decision maker is because in a crisis, Murphy's law is in effect. Right. Chief decision maker is going to be hiking in the Appalachians or on an airplane above the Arctic Circle for some reason, unreachable. So you got to have a backup for that decision making role. And, and if, if somebody doesn't have the authority, that's the thing I always say, the chief crisis officer has to be imbued with that they don't have it natively to their job title. In a crisis, they have to be given a battlefield promotion automatically where they can make certain decisions. Because uh, I've seen some places where it's like they're all standing in a circle going, well, wait, uh, I can't get hold of the boss. You, you're in charge, right? No, you're in charge. Well, we're all on this team. 
And then, okay, maybe there is somebody in charge of the team, but they have not been given the authority to make certain decisions. Because you just said it earlier, you got maybe two hours. I think sometimes you have far less time than that. You do not have time to track down, like you said, the guy who's in the Himalayas. Uh, so I love that. Well, moving to, to the second thing, your holding statement. Uh, people seem so, uh, when I, do, I love talking to you about this because I, I'm wondering about this. Do you get the same response when I'm, when I'm starting a training session with a client, we do we do a lot of black swan, uh, and that's so much fun, and it's kind of macabre fun because if you haven't if you haven't heard listeners and I listeners if you're a regular listener you know I talk about this every now and again but it's a macabre exercise where you're thinking of the most horrific possible crazy things and there's no bad ideas everybody can chime in and it's fun for people especially if you brown bag it and it's like okay let's think about this and jeff the the uh, the example i always use for fun is the ghostbusters it's the stay puff marshmallow man i mean nobody thought that guy would be 60 feet tall destroying new york city am i right so so my point is i i we go through those things and then i'm creating um for one of a better term, Swiss cheese holding statements for all of these things. We may not ever use, and let's praise, praise the Lord, we never have to use hardly any of these, but um, you, you create these statements. But I've had this quizzical look, Jeff, like, well, this, I had somebody actually say to me, uh, another client I can't say much more about because it's been recent, but uh, the, the, the person I was working with said, but you're not really saying anything. I said, let's step back and and jeff i promise i'll shut up for it in a second but i said i said to her let's step back we're we're saying a lot here one we're acknowledging there's a problem two we're also telling everybody we're on it three we're telling the news media and the public where to go to find more information which we will update within the next two hours jeff take it away right wrong okay perfect actually what you're saying is and what you're conveying is we're in control yeah that's it. All of those things that you suggested, they are ingredients to that central idea. We're here, we're present, we're in control. And, and we're not avoiding you. It's the lack of control that gets brands off into a ditch. When they don't establish that, boy, crises abhors a vacuum and it attracts so many trolls and experts who have no business weighing in. But if your voice isn't, the official in control voice. Well, there you've just invited them in to take pot shots at you. Yeah. So, so if you're not sure what I meant by a holding statement, what Jeff and I are talking about, listeners, that's just basically a statement as I just uh, lined out and that Jeff has lined out, where you're just you're just saying, okay, we know this happened. This is what we know so far. This is what we're working on. This is where I would like we would like you to go in the next few hours when we have more information for you. That just means you're not hiding. That means that you're not. And as Jeff said, you don't want other people to fill that void because if you're just kind of waiting for that perfect message that's why we do holding statements and messaging ahead of time in our planning is so you're not furiously trying to bang out uh, a statement with people standing around effectively hair on fire trying to trying to get this thing out and then of course you usually got on every team you've usually got the wordsmith who has to make sure everything is just perfect so so Jeff, I mean that's 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 what it, the, the holding statement issuance is. Can I ask you a technical question about that? Um, do you do you recommend? And I know we, we talk channels later, but just for the holding statements, do you recommend uh, creating a, a non-activated crisis landing page that's there that can be activated on online, or do you recommend one channel? How, where would you put the holding statements, or how do you issue them? 
Oh yeah, I recommend that brands have what I refer to as a digital newsroom. And that's for promotion purposes, mostly. Most every day they're gonna be posting some good content on it. But when a crisis hits, that digital newsroom turns into your broadcast platform. Gotcha, gotcha, yep. okay. Um, as long as you've got the, the rapid response team has the keys to that digital newsroom and can open the door and start using it, you've got yourself a platform you can use. Uh, I have set up many times what you call dark sites for clients to try to have them in the toolbox. The problem is that the um, directing people to those sites with a URL is often weird uh, because they say things like uh, uh, foodissue.com. And you're like, what the? <laughs> you really want to pull people towards your um, URL and become that official brand, official point of information. Uh, so digital newsroom for me is always the right answer. That sounds great. Well, now moving on to point three, to developing your crisis messaging. I think I've touched on, you've touched on it. Um, do you, do you, um, well, it's, I guess we should take a step back here. We, we're talking about two different things, I guess. I, of course, because I'm more planning than active. I do some active. You probably do a lot, a lot of planning, but also a lot of active crises, right? So maybe you, so maybe walk us through this, this uh, company we're talking about, this 10, 10 restaurant uh, group that uh, that's coming to you saying, okay, we had a domino situation with some boogers on some sandwiches and they videoed it or something. Get, walk us through that with the messaging, would you? Yeah, typically in message, what we have to uh, make a quick decision on is um, whether or not we're going to accept blame. So let's take this example. Um, we had a client, by the way, a quick serve restaurant. It was captured on social video, a mouse running through the kitchen and the mouse taking a header off of a shelf into the deep fryer. All of this is on social media. So <laughs> the first question is, can you, um, do, can you deny blame? Can you, or do you have to accept it? In a case where you are making that first decision, I think in this case, you have to accept some responsibility. Yeah. But you don't have to go all the way down into a deep-throated apology to the world about how you've upset the entire ecosystem with the death of this one mouse into your deep fryer, which you know people can go too far. So work yourself down through a minimization method, or um, can we reduce the amount of offensiveness here? Or can we immediately shift to corrective action conversations? Hmm, very good. Uh, hey, that happened. Here's what we did next. We um, shut down the restaurant. We had the health inspector come in. Everything from top to bottom has been clean. This was a strange, aberrant issue. It's never happened before. Here's all the things that we do to prevent it from happening. So it's corrective action is both current fixes and future prevention. Notice in that conversation, I didn't have to apologize. I don't have to open myself up to the liability of an apology. So there are a number of options in messaging, reducing offensiveness, corrective action. And then of course, apologies can come along, but you can also just simply not take the blame, shift the blame. Right. And that's my favorite technique I love shifting blame. 
And my favorite uh, scapegoat is circumstance. It was a strange set of circumstances. And then you go to put those together and say, oh gosh, well, that could happen to anybody. You're aiming in your messaging for the reasonable audience. Right. Any reasonable person would be able to see it's not that big a deal. It's not your fault. Well, because it goes into the, the realm of a non-oppositional crisis there where you didn't, it's not, yeah, like you said, you, it's not really something we did wrong. It's just, gosh, it was one of those things that doesn't this suck? I mean, can you, can you see yourselves in our shoes? And that's where you're talking about the reasonable people who will be like, yeah, that's true. And it's not like you served it. Okay, that was terrible. <laughs> That's right. It did not go through the drive-through. <laughs> but but I I love that in the way that messaging and I, I and unfortunately the time we have we can't go through a lot more great examples of this. That's why you got to read this book, ladies and gentlemen. But um, so Jeff, moving right along though, um, selecting and preparing a messenger. You know, you talked about earlier, and boy, I I can't believe in this day and age when frankly, um, I don't think I don't think press conferences are hardly. I mean, to me, it's just never a first option for anything. One, I can't get anybody to show up unless it's been a murder or something. And not that I've had to deal with that. But like you said earlier, why would you prop your CEO up in a shooting gallery? Um, yeah. and, 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 Describe it perfectly. It is a shooting gallery. Yeah. And, and uh, you tell me, and I, and I don't want to, I mean, just, this is just in general, maybe you can't tell me because I don't want any of your current clients to hear this and go, hey, but <laughs> it's been my experience that most CEOs are great at being CEOs for a reason, but that doesn't always mean they're great at dealing with the news media. That, that And that's okay. Um, some of them are brilliant, okay? We have the superstar CEOs who can walk out there and command a room. They have the charisma and the command of the facts. And all that. But I've worked 27 years for so many different uh, CEOs who, who are great at so many things. And, have, and I've actually had a few come to me and go, don't ever put me in front of the cameras. That's why I pay you. Thoughts? True enough, and there, um, there's a great book called Made to Stick. Dan and Chip Heath came out with it. It's been some years ago, but they talk in depth about this dimension that CEOs possess, but often don't appreciate. It's that they know too much. They have what Dan and Chip Heath call the curse of knowledge. And so, up in front of a microphone trying to now, now instead of um, responding, they're gonna start answering. And answering means to a CEO, I'm gonna educate you, reporter. Yeah. And there you're on a slippery slope. Now I'm gonna educate you by explaining everything in the world that connects to this particular situation. And the longer I talk, the deeper I dig myself in. The more words, phrases, ideas, sound bites can be captured and used against you and your brand. They, CEOs know too much and it's not their fault. What they um, need to be able to do is take a step back and have a 50,000 foot view, uh, a hot press conference in the moment. That's not their place to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Oftentimes, a CEO is, it can often be, especially some smaller uh, organizations, it can be the founder, 
one of the owners and they're very passionate. They, they are not, they're not dispassionate when they feel like their brand or their company or their employees are being attacked or their decisions are being challenged. And it's just, that's why you need kind of a cooler head. You know, I, I've said this on the show before. I'm Jeff, I'm sure you've heard the same thing. One of the greatest compliments I ever received from a client was it's like when everybody else got more and more excited, you got more and more calm. And I said, well, that's what you pay me to do. And, you know, and that point is so important because I think that it click with that CEO for the first time. That's what PR people are supposed to do. I get it now. They're not just kind of this weird caricature. You know, we, we put out fires. We do not add kerosene to the flames. Jeff, as we wrap, oh, go ahead. As we wrap up here, though, I was going to go to number number five, though. But uh, any any thoughts on adding fuel to the fire? <laughs> For sure. Just uh, just to continue on with that thought, a very specific example in the food business uh, connects the LBGTQ community with Dan Cathy of Chick Fil A. Oh yeah. He says one thing on one radio show in response to one question, and now the entire brand, for a decade, has had to uncover from that misstep you know you know jeff i'm in kansas city missouri we're getting a new airport uh it'll open next year and right now it's so it's like you've been reading our news media the past two days um uh, there's people up in arms about chick-fil-a getting a spot in the new airport for two reasons one is the lbg you know that that community but the other is they're only open six days a week and people are like why would we give valuable real estate to a company that's only open six days a week um, and I, you know, I, I worked for Chick-fil-A in high school, uh, you know, I had no idea what their leanings were, didn't care. I mean, it was a nice place to work and guess what? They were only open six days a week. So I love that, but um, I can see the arguments and what you just said though, is so, so perfect is because they, that CEO has left him wide open to, to ridicule, to damages, to lawsuits, to just a lot of stuff that if your business is making chicken sandwiches and making money, you don't want to have to deal with. Yep, don't need to open that door. And there is a fantastic example of what not to do. So uh, almost though, not apologizing for those remarks because they were inappropriate, but um, that's the problem for a CEO. They know too much. They have too much of an opinion about too many things. <laughs> it's true. Not, not, that, not that I um, have an opinion about everything, but you know, that's a different <laughs> story. I'm not a CEO, hey. Uh, so the best method for message delivery, um, is there a universal best method? No, um, there are really good options and they work along those, the, the X, Y axes of control and authenticity. It's all um, circumstance um, dictated. If I need more authenticity, if there are, for example, fatalities involved in a situation, oh, yeah. I might need more empathy. That means a human delivering a message versus more control, which means a statement right. or a lawyer delivering a message, even worse. Um, so none of those are right, but all of them are options. And in the middle, you have other alternatives. For example, I have a number of clients who uh, they've been in sticky situations. They're afraid of the press because they just know they're going to get the tar beat out of them. And uh, it just so happens on my staff, I have two former reporters. Hmm. So we take our cameras, sit down with our reporter, interview that CEO or that spokesperson. Then we edit it, make sure that any missteps, misspoken words, et cetera, are edited out. And we release that 
Well, why would any news organization use that video? It's because you're not going to give them anything else. Right. That means you've got high control with some authenticity. And there, right there, um, just walk down through those two variables, authenticity and control, and you can discover new ways of managing your message with authenticity. Um, but you got to think about that option. Right. So many times it's just like, oh, uh, issue a statement or, oh, uh, issue a, get a press conference. No, there's a number of different options in between. Yeah, you got to use, it's very creative too. And have you seen this in, and forgive me if it's a crass suggestion, but I believe it's true. I'm a former reporter myself. Uh, I started my career in reportage. Uh, the shrinking newsroom size. Um, I mean, that, that now, and I'm just telling fellow PR practitioners and business people listening, we're not advocating not telling the truth and we're certain, you know, but we are definitely advocating making your best case possible and recognizing the fact as Jeff just did, it's, it's implicit in what you just said that you're handing them a very nice package they can use or not use it, but it's so much better than them having to go back and type in on a Chiron, a statement that they can talk about uh, when you have actual B-roll and video, well, not B-roll, but video. Um, have you found that as being a factor, the, the smaller newsrooms and those kinds of things? Completely. A thousand and ten percent, because um, oftentimes, especially in hot situations, you're going to be introduced to a reporter who's been uh, newly minted out of J school by about mm, three and a half minutes. <laughs> they show up on site. They know nothing about your business. They know nothing about the subject matter. They are there to um, answer or to, to deliver a couple of knuckleball questions, get a soundbite, get out to the next thing. This yep. is the new world of the multi-platform journalist that we live in. So your, your job is simply give them a soundbite. Don't, don't uh, expose yourself to anything more than that. Give them the soundbite they need. The B-roll, by the way, put it up on your digital newsroom. Let the news organizations have that. They may talk about you in a different way than you exactly want, um, but you're not silent letting others fill in the void. And so there's all kinds of creative methods to um, find that nexus between authenticity and control. Yeah, Jeff, this is so great. And, and this whole book, listeners, I'm telling you, it's called Breaking Bad News, 12 Essential Crisis Communication Tools. Jeff Hahn is the author. And uh, Jeff, I could talk to you for hours. And I know, I know you're like, thank God we don't have hours because... <laughs> I got stuff to do. Uh, hey, listen, if people want to get a hold of you and learn a little bit more about you, maybe they've got a restaurant a group that needs some help. How do they get a hold of you, Jeff? Sure thing. Uh, easiest way is through my author page. That is um, breakingbadnewsbook.com. You can find me there. You can get a, uh, for your listeners, Alex, we still have advanced reader copies. If anybody would like to get a free copy of the book, just put your name and info in there. We'll send you one and um, uh, make that available to your audience. And it's the best place to get in touch, uh, how to get in touch with me as well. One more time, that's Breaking Bad News. Book, breakingbadnewsbook.com. Got it. That will be in the show notes, folks. It'll be in the show notes. Hey, Jeff, I'm going to throw it back to you one more time, put you on the spot. One last thing. Is there, is there one singular piece of advice besides buy my book that people should, should always bear in mind when they're dealing with their, their messaging and their brand in a crisis? The, the one thing that I want to give uh, brands comfort in is that um, seek 
options, not answers, because there's no perfect answer. As you manage through situations, look at your options and have those around you. You can develop them for you so you can make rational decisions because that's the thing that goes missing in a crisis, rational thought. Well, you just said a mouthful. Jeff Hahn, author of Breaking Bad News, 12 Essential Crisis Communication Tools. Sir, thank you so much for joining us here in the virtual lounge. It's been a great pleasure, Alex. You're welcome. And thank you very much for the great conversation. I mean, you and I could talk for hours, so let's make that a point. I think so. Next time down your way, you're in Texas, right? Maybe I'll look you up. And, and, and uh, if, you're a, if you're in KC, when you fly into our airport, we'll see if there's a Chick-fil-A or not, but then we'll have some lunch somewhere. Um, folks, don't forget, go to PRAfterHours.com and you can find links to everything discussed in this show. And we'll see you next time right here on PR After Hours. <laughs>